Lifesaving Gratitude podcast, and I'm joined with my producer, Johanna Medina. We have a really special guest today. Daniel Vargas is a veteran, uh, an Air Force veteran, who has now is devoting his his time and his life and his energy to helping other veterans. And we, Daniel and I know each other distantly. We're both real estate agents and we've been friends on Facebook for a long time. But as always, when we do these podcasts, there are surprises. And I, as always, think my guest is going to give us information that I know about. And then, and then we learn so much more and it's so much more enlightening. And I especially, I mean, Johanna, you're married to a veteran and I, I thought that he did an exceptional job of talking about mental health, which I didn't expect. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, like you said, I, I didn't, I actually didn't know about Daniel's nonprofit when we booked him. I knew him like you kind of did from Facebook, actually from your page. And I thought, Oh, he's a realtor. Um, but then to find out he's involved in so much more. And then after the podcast, actually, I was talking to Lisa about it. I said, you know, I think you're really going to like this episode because he talks about, you know, a lot of stuff that I know you and I have talked about and a lot of stuff you've experienced and other um, veterans uh, I know have experienced, but also just everybody, um, I think can relate to his story and the things he's going through. And I think it's really inspiring how he's um, trying to work with kind of a hard system, but also providing things where there might be gaps and, you know, really meeting people where we're at. But yeah, the mental health piece was really huge too. And I think that's something that we just don't talk about enough. I think as much as we talk about it, it's, it's not enough. So I was really excited and, and glad to hear what he had to share. Well, and we talk all the time about giving back. Um, and, you know, my, one of my mantras is to whom much is given, much is required. But Daniel gives back in really big ways. And he mm. is currently working on some projects. I think the the sort of his most pressing need is coming up with funds to help someone who had colon surgery mm-hmm. get and then had a terrible reaction, I believe, to the anesthesia. Um, at, 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 it was in the hospital for weeks upon week, like 12 yeah. or 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to raise money to help remodel a bathroom Mm -hmm. for somebody who is now living in a wheelchair, I believe. I hope I have that right. And well, what I I want to let everybody know is that there are going to be a lot of links included with this um, that that you may find is really helpful resources, whether you're a veteran now or you live with one or you know somebody who's struggling in some way. Yeah, and definitely stay tuned till the end because um, Bunny is going to be kind of collaborating and working with Daniel to help raise some some funds for his cause and his nonprofit operation triage. Um, and so we have kind of a exciting surprise giveaway if you stay tuned till the end and want to um, participate in that. So yeah, it's it's a great episode. That's right. Stay right here and hear Daniel's story and how he's helping hundreds of people.
So today our guest is somebody that uh, surprisingly I met through social media and over time I, I, you know, this is how it works on social media. You see somebody that is posting something you're interested in and then they continue to post things that, that really touch your heart, that open your mind, that have a story that you're really interested in. So Daniel Vargas is our guest today. And Daniel, I don't know how long we've been Facebook friends. It seems like eight or 10 years, doesn't it? Yes, it's been a while. It has. And I I don't have any idea how the first connection was made. All I know is that I think I saw something about you doing maybe a GoFundMe or some sort of an activity to help a veteran with home repairs. I honestly I can't remember, but it 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 resonated with me. We became friends and then, you know, now it almost seems like we're in competition to out inspire the other. It's, <laughs> you're always posting something that's really inspiring and I'm always sharing it and saying, "Daniel did it again." Um but I I just want our listeners to hear today, you you do something amazing with your life. You're a veteran. And you, in turn, um, ended that career, but then turned around and started helping veterans in really, really tangible ways. So if we, if you can tell us, introduce yourself, just tell us who you are and what you do, and then, and then we'll start with your personal story. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm Daniel Vargas. I'm uh, 55 years old. I did... Uh, a little over 20 years in the United States Air Force. In fact, my first duty assignment was Albuquerque, New Mexico. I spent nice. six years there and fell in love with New Mexico. And uh, that's how I ended up meeting you is I was looking at property in the Santa Fe area and started following you on your uh, realtor site. That's and it. looking that's at the property it. that you had. And then I started following you on social media and then we started connecting through there. So um, Santa Fe is like Santa Fe, Taos, that whole area is my go-to place for, to recharge my batteries. Uh, ever since I left there, I've always gone back, uh, either with my parents, now my wife, uh, and so forth. So, uh, and then I, you know, since then, um, like you're saying, I left the military in 2007 and been working with a few different nonprofits and, uh, within the last two years really started my own nonprofit. Uh, to help other other veterans and first responders. So how did you, uh, well, first of all, it's so interesting to me when somebody chooses a career in the military, because it's, I mean, it really is the ultimate. Um, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate giving back. Tell, tell me about how you made that choice. I'm really interested in that. Uh, actually, joining the military in the beginning was a selfish choice. I joined because um, I came from a very dysfunctional family. As a young man, I uh, never really had a solid father figure. Uh, my dad wasn't even a, a good weekend father. Um, my mom was very uh, mentally and physically abusive towards me and my brothers and sisters. So mm-hmm. I actually joined the military to get away from home and grow up, to have a sense of um, I could start my own life. And at that time, I was um, trying to go to college, working odd jobs. Uh, I was actually trying to join the Houston Police Department and Got accepted, but the academy shut down because at that time in 86, the oil glut came and uh, the city of Houston kind of went bankrupt and had to shut down the academy. So my my recruiter for the police department said, join the military, get some experience. So I actually came in to get away from home, finish college, and then go back. But 
I ended up doing four years and found a family, uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood that you don't, you know, you have, the, you have a common goal, you have a common mission, um, you get uh, treated very well if you do your job right. Um, and I love the traveling. Like I said, my first duty assignment was Albuquerque, loved New Mexico, um, did a lot of outdoor activities while I was there and um, just thought it was, a, it was where I belonged. And four years turned into 20 years. And where, tell us some of the places you served. Where, were you deployed? Where did you end up? Yeah, I was uh, I was in Albuquerque. And from there, I deployed to the first Gulf War, uh, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. And then from I came back and then we went to Guam for two years. And then from Guam, I went to Fort Hood, Texas. And then Fort Hood, Texas, I went to Whiteman Air Force Base in Nostra, Missouri. And then my last two assignment was here in San Antonio, Texas, at Randolph Air Force Base. And I retired here in the area. Well, I have to say, thank you. Thank you for your service. Right, um, you. And and uh, so you joined the military to, to get away from to get away from home. You said, but over time, did that did the reason you stayed change, and did your goals for afterwards change? Oh yeah, I, I fell in love with the mission. I fell in love with the the sense of fam- the military becomes a second family. Um, it, it becomes you know, a routine. It's easy. You, you put on a uniform, you know what your mission is that day. You know what you're, what you got to get done. Um, if you do the job right, you get rewarded. Um, it was just, I, in the sense of giving back, uh, every day, like I felt it was part of something bigger than myself. Um, which as a child, it was always part of me. It was always, I was a very sensitive kid and always had wore my heart on my sleeve and always tried to help others. So being part of that in the military and not only doing, my military job of volunteering, like I was a big volunteer for big brothers and big sisters in, in, uh, in Albuquerque and also did special Olympics where we got involved with special Olympics and volunteer there. So it was always a part of me of sense of giving. Um, so that really tied into who I was or I am. And it just felt like a great, a great calling for me that I felt um, it was like my new family, even though I was still close to my brothers and my sisters. Uh, but it was just, a, it was just a, a new, a new way to to belong. Um, similarly, my my wife is a veteran too, and she says the same thing that um, you know, being like she misses it and doesn't miss it at the same time because being in the mm-hmm. military was like gave her a real sense of purpose and, like you said, the routine and always knowing like kind of what your what your goal was and and. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, even now, sometimes it's hard to find or feel like you have that same sense of purpose now. So have you been able to find that since you retired from the military, like another thing that's driving you and your your sense of, of duty? Yeah, I was very fortunate. When I got close to retirement, I was starting to deal with a lot of medical issues of my own. And I started going to San Antonio Military Medical Center here in San Antonio, Texas. And with the new Gulf War, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. A lot of the a lot of the injured service members were coming here to San Antonio. Uh, they have the number one burn hospital and then amputee ward. And so while I was going through rehab there. I started meeting a lot of veterans that were coming back. And I early on in the war, I was asking them, you know, what do y'all do to get out of the hospital? What do y'all do to to not stare at four walls? And they said not much. So on my own, I started getting them out to concerts, to different events, to do things, and. So my transition from the military to civilian life was a lot easier because I was still involved with veterans and veterans issues. So I was I was going out and helping these young men and women um, 
deal with what they were going through, not just the, the physical injuries, but the mental injuries, because that, that's the ones that are harder to get past, I think. The physical, you know, they, they give you all the, the equipment there, rehab and stuff like that, but there's such a shortage of mental health uh, providers. And, and I hate to say this, but the military looks at it, you know, let's get them, let's get them healed and let's get them out. Let's get them healed and get them out. Let's process them out. And so yeah. a lot of them are sent home and they're still dealing with the emotional baggage. And I ran into a lot of young men and women like myself who, you know, joined the military to get away from home. And all of a sudden they're right back at home and never healed from the dysfunctionality they were dealing with in the first place. So you have that dysfunctionality on top of the military injuries and, and the, the psychological injuries. So it just compiles itself. And so trying to help those young men and women, for me, it was an easy, an easy transition for myself because I was still helping those. So I felt like I had a really a big sense. I had a bigger sense of purpose now because now I could actually speak my mind too. Mm -hmm. Or in the military. we have Yeah. And you had that empathy. You, you had been through it yourself so you could relate right. to them. So. And you know, in the military, they, they awesome. have it saying that, you know, <laughs> shut up in color. It's like, okay, we appreciate your opinion, but we're doing it this way. And now I had a bigger voice being away from the military because I could say whatever I want. And so it was easier to help them mm -hmm. transition through the VA system as well. That's And that's a, that system is not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's still not easy. No, That's so funny that you brought that up, Johanna, because I was thinking about it as Daniel was talking about, how, you know, he said he came from a dysfunctional family background and that's, you know, it's so, I mean, Lisa's was different, but she still had, there were difficult points in her childhood. And I, and so you, you, you grow up in a certain way, then you get in the military. And then, like you said, there's, there's not a mechanism for helping you deal with your mental and emotional issues there. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm curious, this is, this is not on our list of topics, obviously, but there is a, a relatively high suicide rate yes. in people and, who, yeah. who serve and return from a difficult um, deployment, right? And that's one of the reasons I started this nonprofit is we, we're trying to alleviate a lot of the issues veterans face um, that they haven't had to deal with. And, and unfortunately, the quickest out, they, when they start thinking they're a burden to their families, well, if I kill myself, they'll be better off. And that's not that's wow. not true. And so trying to change that mindset that, you know, especially for the older veterans and veterans have served like 10 years or more. You're so used to this way of living and this way of giving back. And all of a sudden you're thrown into civilian life and you're like, you lose your camaraderie. You lose all your friends. Mm -hmm. You lose a sense of purpose because, I mean, when I was in the military, I handled million dollar budgets. Uh, you know, I handle, I had so much responsibility and then trying to find a job in the civilian life that has that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning and, and trying to transition into that is also a big, it is hard. You know, you get up in the morning, you know, you're going to put on the uniform, you know what your, your duty is. Civilian life, you're like, okay, what do I wear today? And, you know, you go to a job that you're like, man, it's just, it's just a job. It's not, it's not that sense of a family anymore. Um, so there's a lot of compounding issues that de veterans deal with with transition. And, and that's what we're trying to is, is avoid is saying, OK, this chapter of your life may be closed, but you still have the rest of your book to write. Let's let's start on the next mm -hmm. chapter. That's huge. That's such a um, I just from what you are saying and from what I've heard, you know, that it's such a needed service and um, 
you know, a, a needed, uh, I guess, outreach for veterans. Like that's so awesome that you felt called to do that because I think that's. Well, I was just, I, and I, we can go to Johanna's question first, but I just, I'd love to hear the story of like the very first person you met that you felt you could make uh -huh. a difference in their life. But um, yeah. Do you, uh, can you recall that? <laughs> yeah. He's my best friend. Wow. <laughs> he's my best friend. He's my best friend. He's like my son. I'm the godfather to both of his children. He just had his second child. I'm kind of like the grandfather to them also, but uh, J.R. Martinez and, and J.R. is pretty, pretty famous. J.R. Uh, is a wounded veteran, uh, got intact and was on all my children. And then one season 13 of Dancing with the Stars. Wow. But when I met J.R., when I met J.R., he was a 19 year old kid that was injured uh, at the hospital, basically joined the military, also had dysfunctional um family life with his mom was raised by a single parent, but it was very dysfunctional. And he, he found his calling doing um, motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. But when he got out of the military, he's like, what do I do with it now? Who's going to help me? And he was still dealing with the baggage of being physically injured, but more dealing with the psychological injuries and the baggage he brought in with him. And um, one of the biggest changing points was me and Jar were on a trip together and he was dealing with a lot. Jar dealt with a lot of anger at the time, uh, anger issues, which a lot of veterans go through. And one night he was really angry and he wanted to fight. And I said, no, we're not going to fight. You know, I'll be right back. I had to take care of another veteran, came back to him. And I said, get in the truck and let's talk. And we started talking. I said, you know what you need to do is you need to cry. No one's ever told you it's okay to cry as a man and you need to cry. And he broke down and cried and, um, from there, just things started to evolve that, you know, I, I explained to him, people can help you, but you have to help yourself. You're going to be the one that's going to have to do this. You know, people are going to be there to guide you and lead you, but you're going to have to do it. And JR is the one that get, got me. It's funny how God works or whatever spirituality you are. It's funny how it works is if you give back what you get back for it. And meeting JR led me down this path more of, wanting to give that back more and to make a change in people's lives mm -hmm. because I saw what he was going through and the changes that he was going through and, and his growth. And so uh, in over 17 years of friendship, I've seen him go through everything and he's an amazing father now, a uh, motivational speaker, travels the country. And that that's the, the person that probably changed it the most. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Johanna, I interrupted you because I got so interested in the story piece, but I know you had somewhere you were wanting oh, no. to go. No, no, I that's, that was a better direction. I was just going to say, um, just in general, just the stigma around mental health is just so, um, it's so much harder in the military. It's kind of all I was going to mention, but you guys kind of. You, I already mentioned no, that, but I, well, that's a great story about JR too. That's, well, but I'd like yeah. to but see a talk about that. The mental health in the military is such a big issue. You know, uh, I give uh, uh, Simone Biles, uh, she deserves a medal for what she did. Mm -hmm. She said, time out. My mental health and my well-being comes first yeah. over everything else. And I can't do this right now. And what she did at the Olympics, she deserves a gold medal for that, period. I agree. Because she's helping others realize it's okay to call a timeout. It's okay to regroup and, and deal with things that, that some that people don't know what you're dealing with. And in the military, unfortunately, it's a sense of if you, if you go ask for help and it's also, it's also that way in law enforcement. It's also that way with first responders um, yeah. that if you go ask for help. You're the weakest link. You know, you're, you're, you're not helping part of the team. You just need to suck up, suck it up and do it. 
Um, and that's so wrong, especially now with, with COVID going on. I worry about my daughter. My daughter graduated college and she's a nurse and she works ICU here in um, wow. San Antonio. And I do checks on her. Hey, how are you doing? How are you handling things? Because right now there's such a, a, a big COVID uh, explosion with Delta and she's right in the middle of the thick of it. I, you know, I worry about her because I've, I've seen it with younger people, you know, and, and, and older people. You have to, we need a buddy system. And I, I think that's what was so great about Simone's is she had that buddy system there that said, hey, we're not going to be angry if you, you can't go. We're going to be there to support you. And I think that's something the military still lacks on is having that support. Yeah. Just like you said, just having that um, kind of safety net and allowing someone to say, it's okay to talk about it. You know, you're, we're not going to think you're weak or there's anything wrong with you. Just just kind of opening up that door a little bit can make the biggest difference. So it sounds oh, yeah. like you, you're doing that for a lot of people too. I'm trying because, you know, I, JR's helped me with my stuff, you know, watching him grow and my daughter and I went through a bad divorce and still dealing, trying to reconcile with my parental issues. You know, my dad passed away not too long ago, two years ago, and uh, trying to have closure with him. And and what I realize is you're not going to always get what you want from the person that you feel that owes you, but you have to look at the whole picture of what they went through as a child. And so I have a lot of empathy for my dad, and I forgave him before he passed away. You know, having that closure with him, even though he couldn't talk about it and didn't want to talk about it, it was on myself to heal myself through it, not not on him. Yeah. So it's getting the people to realize that, that, you know, being angry all the time and holding on to anger doesn't heal anything. Yeah, exactly. I, well, and I like what you just said, that it was on you to heal yourself. Um, I, um, I think you'd, you and I, I can't remember who it was. Somebody last week posted something that says, something about, you, you know, real, just realize when you're overwhelmed, you don't have to quit. You just need to rest. And, and we don't do, I mean, I don't do it well enough. You know, we always feel like we've got to be in this headlong rush to achieve something else and we forget to rest. And it sounds like that's what you've encountered. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. You know, uh, I always tell you, but you're no good to anybody unless you're good to yourself first. You know, you have to take care of yourself first before you can help anybody else. If, you, if, if you're running around um, trying to heal the world but not healing yourself, you, you, you're going to break. There's a breaking point. You can't do it all. So tell us about the first time that you did something really tangible, physical, you know, help somebody repair their home. or did, How does that work? When did that start? Um, so I met JR at the hospital and I was doing things on my own and JR was a spokesperson for a nonprofit at the time. And he's like, well, they're trying to get up and started. You need to help them out. So I went and met with one of the founders and started volunteering for them. Then it, when I retired, it ended up being a full-time job. But, uh, some of the first things we did, we did a, a, which I thought was amazing back then. We did a thing called a road to recovery conference and we brought, uh, veterans from around the country to Disney. And at Disney, we had the veterans, but not just the veterans, but their families, the wives and the kids. And we also uh, provided um, therapy camp. Uh, there's another group that splintered off from them that is called Camp Hope. Um, and they provided therapy for the kids. And just seeing that where we brought everybody together and brought all the resources that were out there 
and and get speakers to and mental health speakers to help them start to recruit was probably the the first thing that that really changed my life is seeing seeing that there's there's so many people out there that are willing to help, but trying to connect the dots and bring them to to veterans is the hard part. Is trying to get them to to understand that there is help out there, but once again, no one can help you unless you reach out for help and, and getting the veterans to understand that. Because the hard part is most veterans won't ask for help. The ones who mostly ask for help is either the spouse or the caregiver, may, may be their mother or father, are the ones who are asking help for that veteran, not the veteran themselves. So getting the veterans to break down and say, okay, I need help with this. Where can I go is, is the biggest goal. So we were talking about um, people not wanting to ask for help. Um, I, and you know, I, I mean, that's not just, um, limited to the military. I think people are, there's such a stigma, um, around asking for help when you need it the most. And that, and that really is probably the time. And, and, you know, Johanna is more the mental health expert than I am because she's a social worker, but I do think that people tend to be afraid to ask for help because it's a sign of weakness. Well, you know, and unfortunately, especially on social media, if you go and ask for help, people start to chastise you right away. Well, what do you really need help for? You know, why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing that? You know, everybody wants to be an armchair quarterback and tell you how to do it. And and sometimes you just need to bite the bullet and go go do it. I mean, with with veterans, you know, I push if you, like on my social media, and I don't know if you if you've seen it. I always push the one eight hundred number for for uh, the VA. There's a one eight hundred number you can call for help. There's um, also other other groups out there that are providing retreats. And I always try to post those. There's retreats out there. So here here's the location. Call it. Just call. Nobody needs to know. You can call them directly. But there mm-hmm. is help out there. You just have to do it. You know, and, yeah. and it is hard. You know, I think I think the hardest thing is for people. People don't want to peel back their own onion because they're afraid of what they're going to find. And I think that's that's the hardest thing is getting them to peel back their own onion and admit, hey, this is an issue with me. I got to deal with it. You know, if you can get somebody to peel back their own onion, it becomes a lot easier. But it's just getting them to that point. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great analogy. And, you know, there is so much power in um, the, the first time after I had cancer, the first time that I got in a room with other people that had had lived through the same diagnosis as I had, it, it was like electricity to me. There's so much power in meeting people who have lived through the same trauma that you have and realize, I mean, it's, it's empowering, but it also takes some of the power away from the trauma. It seems. Yeah, no, it's so true because you realize you're not alone. You realize you're not the only one going through this. You know, sometimes you, something happens to you and you feel like, well, it's only happening to me, no one else. And so you end up starting to isolate yourself even more because you're like, no one's going to understand. And, and that's the worst thing. I always tell everybody, Somebody always has it worse than you. You'll be surprised. Somebody always has it worse than you. If you go, if you go talk to people and join a group, you'll find out that you're, you're going to be like, oh, I was pretty bad, but yeah, you know, Tom has it worse than I do. And, and you start to understand that, hey, I'm not alone, you know, and, and, and I don't want to get into politics, but I think what's happened also is we become scared to talk to each other because everybody chastises you if you have an opinion nowadays. And we need to get past that as a country. We need to be there to help each other, you know, not not harm each other. Mm-hmm. 
It's about, it's, it's really, you know, that sense of community, right? Like whether you're a cancer survivor or a veteran or a new parent or something, it's, you need to find your, your community, your tribe, just for one thing to not feel so alone, to not feel isolated in what you're going through. And then also, like you said, to, to find those people that are, you know, have been through the same thing you have, have survived it, you know, maybe they have like advice or tips or hey this helped me or this resource so it's so huge and it's I mean you know it could even be like anthropological like this is how we are supposed to be as humans we're not supposed to be isolated or um you know on our own or in front of a screen like we need community we need to be around people so I think that's something that I mean even especially in the last year and a half we've it's been hard to do and so we need to kind of make that effort to, to find our people again. No, totally agree. Well, and I, I want, I kind of want to shift gears just because I don't, I want to give you ample time to talk about operation triage. So I'm, I'm going to read your mission statement and then I, I want you to tell us how that's working and how we can help. But um, operation triage's mission, and that's a, a nonprofit that you created is to provide emergency financial relief mortgage-free homes, and home remodeling to disabled veterans, first responders, and active duty service members in an effort to get their lives back on track and become productive members of their communities. So I'm dying to know, I mean, we've talked a little bit about what you did when you retired, the nonprofit you worked for, and, and now tell us about Operation Triage, because that's your own nonprofit. Um, Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, what happened was the last nonprofit I worked for, um, they, their full concentration was on just building homes, but we were getting a lot of requests from veterans for, hey, I need help with a wheelchair ramp, or I just need, where can I get a wheelchair? The VA is not providing me a wheelchair and I need a wheelchair. I can't wait on the VA. And so I decided to splinter off and just do my own thing to answer. It doesn't have to be a, a huge need, but just even small needs that change their lives. Um, you know, I had a veteran, uh, one of the veterans I helped is a Vietnam veteran, uh, dealt with the Agent Orange, was getting the runaround from VA. We finally got him his benefits he needed, and we got the VA to come in and put a ramp that he needed for his house. You know, they provided him a wheelchair and they provided him a scooter, but they hadn't provided him a ramp. And I'm like, well, it doesn't make any sense, the bureaucracy, if you're going to give him all this stuff and he can't even get it into his house. I mean, it's a simple fix. Let's fix this. So we become a, an advocate for a lot of the issues and it doesn't cost us anything. Um, the other thing is, is trying to fix things that are needed ASAP that we can't wait on the VA or wait for the bureaucracy to go through. I, we just got a request this week for a veteran that's up in Colleen, Texas, outside of Fort Hood. And the VA referred him to Scott and White, a local civilian hospital for surgery on his colon because they found a polyp, but he had to do surgery and remove part of his colon. He goes in and had allergic reaction to anesthesia, was in a coma for almost two months, and now is in rehab down in Round Rock, Texas. And the VA basically had told the family is, well, we didn't do the surgery, so you're on your own. What? And so to bring, yeah, to bring the member home, to bring the member home, some remodeling needs to be done for their bathroom and the master bedroom. The family can't afford it. So we're right now doing, looking for funds and, and people to donate products and materials to that project for we can bring this veteran home. And it's things like that, that it, it just appalls me. It appalls me because as a military member, you're made a promise that we're going to take care of you. 
when, when if you serve, we're going to take care of you when you when it, when you're done. And unfortunately, the system is geared towards not really taking care of you. You have to fight for everything that you want. You have to fight to get your disability ratings. You have to fight to get the equipment you need. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be a lot simpler. And you know, unless unless a big tragedy, uh, something big happens at the VA, and it's put on national news, then everybody pays attention to it. You know, a couple of years back, it was the waiting list. The VA was covering up certain hospitals were covering up the waiting list issue and people were dying on waiting lists to be seen in hospitals for the head of the hospitals could get bonuses. So, you know, unless something big like that happens, then Congress throws money at the VA, but it, what they end up hiring is more administrators instead of more doctors, mental health professionals, and people that can help get the benefits to the veterans. Um, now, I'm not saying everybody at the VA is bad. It's just it, it's just a, a typical bureaucracy that shouldn't be there and needs to be changed. So what we're trying to do is help veterans at the lowest level possible. And, and like I tell them, help me help you. You give me the information, we'll go out and try to help you and get these things for you and get them done. So you, I, I looked at your website and it, I mean, how, how do you raise funds? I mean, do you have events? Do you, what, what exactly do you do to get dollars in the door? How can we help you? Everything. Beg, <laughs> beg, <Right. laughs> which I have no problem doing. Um, but we, we, we've, uh, with COVID last year, it took a real hit that we were really limited on what we could do. So it really hurt us. So this year we're scrambling. We're doing, uh, Two fundraising events in Missouri, their concerts that are going on. Um, we're looking at doing more fundraising down here in, in Texas. Um, but, you know, we have some some donors that are reconsidering their major donation this year, applying them to us. So we, we've working with some donors. So uh, we've got a little bit of everything. We've had wheelchairs donated to us that we've ended up regifting to other veterans and, and getting them um, the chairs they needed. We had a... A, a thing called a track chair. It looks like a wheelchair on, on tank wheels. And the, ch- the chair can go anything. You can go on the, on beaches and go out in the woods and go out by lakes. Uh, we had a lady that donated that and we got it to a veteran in Kansas city that he was a farmer raised horses and had his farm, but he couldn't go out there and, and take care of them. So, you know, living that normal life causes depression. But once we got in the track chair, he can go out there and do all the things he did before and and so things like that, just repurposing equipment has really helped a lot. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a whole lot to change somebody's life. It could be something small. You're so um, right. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks that, ha- you know, a lot of people get feel overwhelmed. Like, well, if I donate, I have to donate millions of dollars. I can make a difference. No, you don't. You don't. You could, it could be something so small to change somebody's life. We've had kids do, do bake sales or lemonade stands and donated a couple, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And those hundred dollars to us is like thousands of dollars where we can change somebody's life with it. Wow. So, so when you, I mean, it sounds like when you wake up every day, I mean, I, I feel like there's got to be a process that you go through that, that, um, I mean, this isn't innate. You don't just, people don't just show up having this sort of a, grateful and giving spirit. How do you practice? I mean, what's, what's your thought process every day to get into the mo- the mindset that you need to be in? Every morning, first thing I do is I thank God for another day. Because now that I'm 55, I feel like I'm on the other side of the mountain. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, instead of 25. I know, I know 55 is like the new 35, but, you know, I thank God every day for another day. Um, you know, I don't take anything for granted. 
every day is a is a wonderful day and you got to look at um you know i joke with my wife you either got to have the glass half empty or half full and i'm always the one with half full i always try to find the positive in everything you know um excuse my language but you know shit happens it's, and you just have it's how you deal with it you know you have a choice you can either let it overwhelm you and and drop you to your knees you can say okay that happened today i'm gonna learn from it well, let's move on and, and let's let's deal with it so i'm just grateful i'm just grateful for a chance to to be my my daughter's father for another day I'm a, my wife's husband and another day of trying to help somebody else i i really believe god has built us to give we're, we're, we we get so much more out of giving if you if you give and you practice giving you get so much more out of it. You feel, I feel more accomplished. I feel like I, I, I feel guilty at times because I feel like I got more out of it than the person I'm trying to help. And, and I think if you wake up every morning with that idea is I'm going to even smiling at somebody, I'm going to smile at somebody today and maybe that changes their life. If you start practicing those things, life, life gets a lot better for yourself. So I'm just grateful to have those chances to do th- those things every day. That what you just said is so true. Every, I, what you give to people. I mean, we, it seems to me that if I do one small thing for somebody, it's like I get things back tenfold. It's, um, you know, what, what you, what you put out there in the world comes back to you in bigger ways than you ever thought it could. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest things I'm most grateful is the friendships I've gotten from doing this. My two best friends are, are people that I started off just by being there for them, you know, you, you're there for them. Well, well, tell us this, Daniel, because I know that a lot of our listeners, they may not be veterans, but they may have one in their family. I mean, when you were talking about the difficulties like getting disability, I know Johanna and Lisa have been through that journey. I mean, everybody has these difficult phases in their lives, but it does seem like it's compounded somewhat for the veteran community um, what would you tell people that are trying to offer some sort of support or care or community to a friend or a family member who's a veteran? Um, the biggest problem with veterans is they usually don't, they have a hard time talking to non-veterans. Like if you, if you, in <laughs> my wife has seen this where I don't really talk about my service at all, but as soon as I get around other veterans, you start telling stories and you start relating. And it doesn't matter if the veteran's a World War II veteran or a veteran that just served in Iraq. If you get them together, they can relate to each other. The age difference doesn't matter. So th- the biggest thing is be patient with the veteran. You know, they might not tell you everything, but if you help them find, you know, a group, like right now that COVID's gone a little bit better, they can they can join um, groups or forums that go and talk. Find somebody that they, they feel comfortable talking with. Um there, there is resources out there and you just have to research for them. I know there's a great place up by Taos. I forgot the name of it, but it's a, a retreat for veterans up there. I'd have to find it and I could send it to y'all, but I had learned about it. So um, there's a lot of resources outside the government. You know, the government, I tell people don't, you can't rely on the government to do everything. So find those resources that are out there that are available for veterans. There's a lot of sport, sporting events. There's a lot of, um, outdoor activities. There's a lot of trips that veterans can go on um, just to find them some kind of reprieve to get back involved in things. Um, I know a bunch of veterans, when they first came back, the first thing they turned to was drinking uh, to deal with their pain and stuff. And then we ended up finding adaptive sports programs for them and, and they've taken off with it. And that's become their new drug. They, they, they've gotten, you know, they thought they never could do 
sporting events again because either they're a double amputee or a single amputee. And come to find out they can do sled hockey. They can do uh, hand bike racing and, and, and compete. So it's just finding that niche, help them find that niche. And, and the best thing is just to listen. You know, and I mean, when I say listen, really listen. Uh, unfortunately, we have a bad habit of listening to try to solve the problem for the person so we don't hear what's actually being said. But if you practice the art of really just listening and let that person talk and digesting everything they're saying, you can really help them. Wow. <laughs> and and that seems like the sort of, I mean, it's really important for veterans, but it's also, I mean, it's true for everybody else too. If you can, like Johanna said earlier, if you can find your niche, if you can find your tribe, if you can find the people that you trust who have experienced life or trauma in the same way that you have, then um, that's just a, that's a huge step on the path to um, better mental health. Am I right, Johanna? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's um, what we've all been saying and I, yeah, exactly. I think that's great advice, Daniel. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and it sounds like, okay, so people can find you at it's operation triage.org and yes, find more about the nonprofit. And um, we'll also put that link in our description. Um, and it sounds like my other question, but you kind of said, I heard you say that you helped somebody in, in Kansas or Kansas city. So you're not, so you're helping people in, um, a wider area, not just in Texas or. Right. Yeah. Our main, uh, because I'm in Texas and we're in Missouri also, mm-hmm. um, that's been our main focus, but we're branching out to help. I, I don't care if the veteran calls us from Alaska. If there's something we can do or find resources for them, we're here for them. We're not going to oh. turn them down. Um, and the thing I like about what we do is we don't have a set program. We're not just focusing on, like, if you go to certain groups or just, we, well, we only do home building. We can't help you or we only do sporting events. No, if we don't, if we don't do it, we'll find somebody that can help you do it. We're not going to just turn you away. There's resources out there that will help you find the resources. But like I tell the veterans, or I tell the first responders, those that call, help me help you. I'll give you the resources, but you're going to have to make the call. You're going to have to, to mm-hmm. do some of the legwork to get the help. You just can't sit, uh, you can't sit by on the sidelines for your own recovery. You have to be part of the recovery. Yeah. And that's so for some people, that's hard for them to understand. They want you to do it all for them. And I'm like, ah, this is where you're going to need some hard love. I can I can lead you to it, but you're going to have to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I, I this I mean, we've talked about some pretty heavy subjects, but I do want people to know I looked at this event you guys are going to do in Missouri on August 28th, you've got some great artists showing up. It's sort of a music festival. Am I right? Is it a day of music? Yes. Where yeah. in where in, in Missouri? Um, one's outside of St. Louis, and the other one is I'd have to look at it again. I get, okay. <laughs> I don't know the area too well. Okay. Um, our, our vice president and his family, it, it, a great story. I met Matt Belcher and his family um, where I was at the other organization, and when I decided to leave to do this, um, Matt and his family followed me. We become very good, very good friends, and. Um, so he got a group up there mobilized and volunteers and are putting on these shows so we can raise some funds to help with veterans. Yeah, we got a, a remodel there that we're trying to do, excuse me, for a veteran in his, be- his uh, basement that was flooded. And um, with that, we're, that's a lot of that, those funds are going to go to that, but anything left over will go to these other projects that we're, we're uh, trying to get done. Uh, we have a veteran here in San Antonio that we're trying to build him a new home. Um, and then, plus the veteran that up in 
Fort Hood right now that needs a total remodel of his uh, bathroom and master bedroom. So, so we're looking at that also. <clears throat> so Daniel, we really want to help you um, make some money for Operation Triage. So we're going to post links to the website, but I'm also going to go out on a limb here. I don't know if anybody will care, but I would say that, that um, for the next 10 people who donate at least a hundred bucks to you guys, I'll mail them a signed copy of my book, Life-Saving Gratitude. Oh, thank you. God bless you. No, I just think that's so, I I don't know if anybody wants a copy of my book, but I do know that (laughs) people want to help your cause. So that's really important. So may I offer that? So, Oh, God bless you. Yes, thank you. Thank I mean, you. Just, don't sell yourself short, Mom. Everybody wants a copy of your book if they're listening to this podcast. Come on. Well, um, and I, I want you guys to raise some money because, um, you know, just like, I mean, the, the wheelchair ramp is so, it's so elementary. It's like... It well, you, you're meeting people where they're at and you're not putting up those barriers that a bureaucracy might or you know the, the red tape that you have to go through you're just like this is the need and we want to do what we can to fill it so that's amazing that's i wish well, more people like were doing that the people we're trying to help can't wait yeah right. they shouldn't have to wait right they're, 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 why, why are we going to make them wait almost a year to get their benefits they deserve they shouldn't have to wait you know they, they serve uh you know, one thing people don't understand is it's less than 1% of our population has served the United States military. Wow. Less than 1%. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how you feel politically or whatever, these are the people that have stay, stood on a wall and said, I'm going to provide you the blanket of freedom you're going to sleep under tonight. I give you the right to speak your mind, to to follow your, your interests, to follow your dreams, and not have to worry about somebody taking them away. So regardless of how you feel politically-wise, these are people that have took a took a oath to defend us against terrorists, foreign and domestic. So we should be able to all all together support them. Absolutely, exactly. Well, that's what we're here to do. But we love, you know, we talk all the time. You know, one of our hashtags is that stories save us, and I think your story is so inspiring, Daniel. I mean, you came from a home where you you could have taken a completely different path. And you could have made completely different choices. And instead, today, you're changing the lives of people who, um, who, who I, you know, I just feel like it's the ultimate sacrifice to give up 10 or 20 years of your life to defend your country. So um, thank you for creating this life that is such an inspiring story. And thanks for coming and joining us here. Well, thank you all so much for having me. Thank you for letting me uh, spread the word of what we're trying to do and change others. Uh, I owe y'all dinner when I come to, to Santa Fe. I'll let you know. I'd love to see y'all in person. Well, and Have and you. we want, yeah, so definitely. so let's get back together in six months or so and hear what else Operation Triage is doing. We're here to help. Definitely. Okay. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Nice to meet you, Daniel. Nice to meet y'all. That's all we've got today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life-Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry, that's me, and my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. 
Also follow us on Instagram at LifesavingGratitudePod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at BunnyTerry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in.